ready to keep you company wherever you are. Carte Blanche, the podcast, brings you immersive, hard-hitting stories anytime, anywhere, every week. Whether you like it or not, children are becoming digital citizens. They're exposed to mobile devices from an early age, often navigating online platforms before they can walk or talk. But it's become clear that the real world has a lot of catching up to do when it comes to keeping young ones safe online, whether it relates to seemingly innocent content on TikTok and YouTube or the growing trend of kidfluencers. Many parents find themselves at a loss about what measures to put in place for their tech-savvy toddlers. We turn to digital analyst and content strategist Carmen Murray to chat about the importance of having the talk with your kids about all things online. Let's first discuss the most popular social platforms among preteens in South Africa. What are they and what do children primarily use them for? Hey, Sasha, thank you so much for having me. I'm super excited to be part of this conversation. It's truly a fascinating piece of work. From my side, the young generation relates to Facebook as the village. That is the place for the old people. So they are more about TikTok, Instagram is the most popular platforms, but then also YouTube has also got quite a rise in popularity with the younger generation, especially as content creators. And we also need to take into consideration that there's messaging apps like WhatsApp, which is is very important. Also on your various channels, you've got um, messaging platforms. This is plays a very important role as we progress forward um, in this conversation as to how that also so can um, have potential risks. But in terms of growth and popularity is definitely TikTok is really quite a strong rise that we are seeing if we look at the data independently. So what safety measures do the most popular platforms put in place to ensure kids are safe? I'm going to push back on that question a bit in terms of, you know, are they really taking safety measures um, seriously on the various platforms? I don't know if you can remember, if we look at when we were younger, our parents would send us to go and buy cigarettes and we would be five or 10 years old. The young boys could buy pornography magazines. We could buy alcohol under the age. We could watch movies that were not meant for us to watch in terms of not know people under the age of 16. Yet some parents gave consent for that to happen. So this behavior has always happened where although there's a regulation of some sort that says you're not allowed to be on a platform until you reach a certain age, I don't believe that that can truly be regulated. Let's look, for example, parents when they give birth to their children. Some parents create profiles for their children just after they're born. And I don't think that um, parents are considering the safety of the children because the moment you do that, when a child or young child, or even if you're 13 or 14 years old, This is where it starts becoming very tricky because data is collected from this person. There's no verification process to know whether this person is a young teenager or whether they're an adult. And this makes it even more complicated. If we look at studies, studies have shown us that, for example, children under the age of 18 are not allowed to vote. And the reason for that is because by the age of 18, they've reached adulthood, they've gone through puberty, and they're mature enough 
mentally to make adult decisions. So I'm not sure that 13, 14 years old is a healthy age. From a security perspective, facial recognition and all the challenges online, that needs to be taken into consideration. And then there's another point I would also like to make regarding safety measures is the whole idea of cross-device usages. So you many times you'll see when you go to a restaurant, a parent takes their iPad and gives it to to their little one to engage with and watch a show. But if we look at the challenges advertisers are facing with programmatic buying, their ads are likely to be seen by younger generations. If we go to Peppa Pig, Tom and Jerry, any of those type of episodes for various broadcasters, you'll see every episode's got millions and millions of views. I just had a look, like some of them go from 1.5 million views per episode to 500 million views per episode. Now, can you imagine the revenue generated by the various broadcasters by having ads served? So the platform that they have this content on needs to make money. If you look at YouTube Kids, for example, parents can have control but they need to have a pay subscription not to have ads. So ads are allowed to be served on the YouTube Kids channel if you go through the T's and C's. As long as it's not overly promotional, they will be exposed to, to ads when it starts blurring the lines of safety and also programming children from a very young age to the marketing world. So I think it's really interesting um, that despite the age limit, you were mentioning that you know, parents are making accounts on behalf of their children, you know, and they're not being given an option here. What are your thoughts on that? 100%. When um, you look, for example, on archives.org, you are able to track back data that's been deleted off the website. How effective that is and how it's done via the various social media channels, that I cannot verify. But what I can say is, yes, there's been legal battles around whether children's data should be deleted if they're under the age of 18 years old. And according to COPPA and the Children's Act and children's rights, yes, you should be deleting that data if it has been requested. But who is actively informing children or people at the age of 18 years old how to delete their data and the importance of deleting their data? And more importantly, is that it's also parents who are responsible to make sure that they give consent or wait for consent from their children to open up accounts for them when they are legally allowed to have an account. But as we both know, this is not the case when we look at various celebrities. They're known for doing that and opening up accounts for their children. If you just look at the Kim Kardashian Northwest, she's, I think she's about 10 years old and she's actively, you know, tweeting and doing TikTok videos and so forth. Does she know what the repercussions is going to be for her 10 years from now? Yeah. How young is too young and why? How young is too young is a very good question because are children really ready for this kind of world? If we look at the 1800s, children five years old and they worked on farms and they worked a full day. They didn't go to school. That was the life. And that was a human innovation that was created later on that children should go to school and should be educated and learn in order for them to you know, form part of the industrial revolutions, etc. So 
if we now look back and we see, okay, right, parents are starting to have their children, support their children, becoming kid fluencers and doing things online, earning money. And it's almost like an age of, of quite quitting and the great resignation where the parents are now taking a step back and relying on the children to become the breadwinners of the household. So are they really mentally strong enough in order for them to take on that responsibility? Are they legally equipped? No, they don't know anything about taxes. They don't know how to run a business, human behavior. And then we look at situations like Britney Spears, Justin Bieber, Michael Jackson, you know, the scenarios that played out there when children at a very young age um, went into the world of fame or became influencers earning money, and then this conundrum starts where parents take quite big commissions and, you know, make decisions on behalf of the children where they still need to build a value system. Because if you don't build a proper foundation, what type of decisions are you going to make? We are already seeing a mental health crisis. A lot of it has to do with social media. We're seeing social media sabbaticals where adults are taking time out of social media. They're doom scrolling. They're not even engaging with the content. Now you take a young person and you put them on social media and you don't have rules in play. What is the impact going to be on that child when they are 12 or 13 years old? When they start being, you know, attacked by trolls, pedophilia, mental health is definitely going to catch up with them. Misinformation is a big one for me. We are in an era of wokeness. And in the era of wokeness, if, if a child is not fully equipped and don't have the knowledge and are telling stories and sharing information, how much of that misinformation that they are sharing, you know, is going to catch up with them when they are older? Whose responsibility will it then be? Is it going to be the responsibility of, of the five-year-old or the parent that gave them consent and opened up an account for them? And that becomes a, a more of a, a legal question, I suppose. Um, so there's lots of risks involved. And I feel that we definitely also need to be aware of catfishing. Young kids are not going to know when their accounts are being hacked. And if parents can't keep up with the trends and phishing scam and malware, cybersecurity, parents wake up the next day, no money in their accounts and they don't know why. Crime being done by using their accounts and it's not being alerted with the right officials. What is the impact going to be? It's a far bigger conversation than just, uh, you know, having a five-year-old there to to dance and to do cool things that makes people laugh. But what, what is it going to look like in 10, 15 years from now for that child? You were speaking now about children, I guess, practically growing up online, you know, whether it's their parents posting images and videos of them or kids just spending hours online consuming or creating content. What impact could this digital citizenship have on future generations? If we look at the world of deep fake, I spend a lot of time on TikTok specifically as an ethnographer and needing to monitor human behavior and trends and looking at the impacts on society. I'm starting to become very, very concerned when I look at TikTok. You know, TikTok, you see 60% of the content. I have to go online to go and validate whether what I have just watched or the content that was created by a specific person is real or not. 
I constantly have to go and see if um, Meghan Markle, as an example, said this certain particular thing that she's being accused of. And what is definitely starting to occur is the world of deep fake is here, where people's faces are used, not their voices, but sounding like them, looking like them, using AI and actually delivering uh, messages that brings dystopia. It, it brings division rather than uniting people. And I don't see society in general really getting their minds around the potential risk, not only for their children, but for society at large. Tell me about these T's and C's you keep speaking about. So the terms and conditions of every platform changes all the time. I'm sure every morning when you wake up, you see the interfaces change or there's a new rule or a new feature that's been introduced. But the reality is that terms and conditions, there's hundreds and hundreds of lawyers um, working in the back end, constantly updating the T's and C's, which is something we're not always aware of that we definitely need to review and keep an eye on. So with this constant change, keeping up with, with social media is, is no easy task. If we look at that in context, um, this constant change that is happening and people making the decisions so quickly, we also need to recognize that the Third World War is all about data. It's going to be a data war. And we've already seen it at play in elections. And the thing with terms and conditions is that the um, the collection of data is not really revealed to us. I don't know, a few years ago, we were all so concerned every time we mention a certain word as, as an ad is being served to us. And we were like, how are they knowing when to serve this ad? Only to discover that they're listening to us through our devices and they are listening to us through our messaging um, services that we're using. And at the same time, the other day I was lifting up a, a mic and I held the mic in my hand and I was, um, you know, trying to figure it out. And it's almost like the camera detected the mic in my hand. And within 10 minutes, I had that exact mic being served to me on ads. That freaked me out because I feel that my privacy has been completely invaded. Now, this is the same that's going to happen um, to parents. Cross devices, you use my device, you can work on my device, do your thing. We're going to record a few um, videos and then I'm taking over the device. But you don't know if one of those ads are going to be served to, to your child if, you know, that is the case. Another thing to take into consideration is Facebook is forever sitting in the naughty corner. And they paid out a $500 billion lawsuit recently because they didn't delete the facial recognition software that was a mandate to delete. And they didn't disclose that they were collecting facial recognition data. Now, all these things matter because this is where we're moving into biometric data. Biometric data is probably one of the most important data that exists about a human being. You know, if you as an adult decide that you're okay, that that data is being used, maybe your child is not okay with that. If we look at the first industrial revolution, Everything about the first industrial re revolution was moving to the cities and finding a job. There wasn't a lot of jobs, so people stayed loyal. They worked at a company for many, many years, 
And that was just the norm. And then we look at the next industrial revolution where people wanted to create a standard of living. And this is where people really worked hard, worked extra hours in order to make extra money, to live in a beautiful home, own a nice car, and to have a, a particular lifestyle that they desire. But what's happening now is that people are now moving into a time where they want balance in their life. It's having less things it's having more freedom. It's having the ability to not have too many things, not be too materialistic and actually lead a more simpler life in the name of being balanced and not having to work so hard. And we are also a generation that during the pandemic, what we did was we worked extra hard because people were told you have to decide whether you want to work with us on or not. Here's a 40% cut on your paycheck and you have to now do three people's jobs. People were happy to do that for a, for a period of time, but they burnt out because it was just too much. And now people are just going, you know what? I just need to calm down. I need a, a relaxed life. Companies are now introducing wellness programs where they can see psychologists and the psychologists are telling them to have boundaries. And this is where the quitting conversation keeps on coming up as well. And all of this is because we actually don't have any freedom. Our democracy, one day, one acceptance of T's and C's at a time is taken away from us. And if we don't understand what our democracy means to us, how can we freely give it away so easily? And I think this is this is a conversation that needs to be held by influences, by people at magnitude to protect those people online because the lack of transparency is becoming concerning because businesses are not showing and telling you what they are doing with your data. If you think, for example, when you go into a parking lot and you have to give your name, your ID, and you, you have to give your car registration number and all of that information, where does that piece of paper go? Where does that data go? You don't know. And the same applies with social media platforms and any technology platform that's asking for your data. Are we teaching the younger generation of what that democracy means and why it is important to protect your data? So talking about protection of data, you know, obviously, social media has this dark side. We don't know where it goes. What would you like to see in terms of online developments and policies in the months and years to come? I would like to see a lot more education, digital literacy to happen at school level, not just for children, but for parents as well, because parents are not up to date with the latest technology. A lot of them are actually trying to avoid it rather to engage with it. I think what we also want to try and see is compensate me for my data. If you want my data, give me my data. There is a trend that was predicted that in the future, you would be able to trade your data on the stock exchange. Maybe that is something that needs to be revisited and materialized through companies that actually pay for your data in order to, to use that. But this freakishly invasive way of speaking to audiences by listening into conversations. If you just look at Alexa, if you say, 
hey, Alexa, or hey, Siri, she's listening. That's why she's answering. Yes, what can I do for you? Because she's continuously listening, waiting for your command. And the transparency needs to be upfront and it needs to be clear. And I also think that the data should also be used to serve us rather than to abuse us. And I think that's where the big difference is. But also, I mean, we have to admit, not everything is dystopian. If you look how wonderful technology is, how you can learn a new skill on YouTube or how you can get inspiration on Pinterest, there's so much that the world has to offer online as well. It's just finding the balance, knowing your rights, also protecting the younger generation and ensuring that you are protecting them in any shape and form and having healthy discussions of what is okay and what's not okay. Where it does become quite concerning is if a parent is not self-aware, if a parent does not operate from a healthy value system, the chances are that that child is probably also going to um, operate from that same value system. And this is where it's going to become challenging. And this is where it's either unity or divisive conversations that will continuously happen on, on social media. Those conversations that are divisive shouldn't be served because it's contributing to mental health issues. Those regulations needs to be controlled, but it gets more eyeballs. So it's better to show something more divisive, but that should be something that should be taken up by regulators and uh, legal departments in protecting not just kids, but people, humanity online. Apart from not going online at all, what are some of the best safety measures parents can put in place to ensure their children browse safely? I think it starts with having um, an open dialogue with your children. The chances that they are going to hear about the birds and the bees from the online society is highly probable. So I think it's very important to have the important conversations with your children before they go online because they are going to be exposed to it it's in, in some shape or form. Even if you do take precaution, it is going to happen. I think it's also important to educate children on the risks of, of what social media brings. Stay up to date with the terms and conditions and, you know, look at privacy settings and continuously audit the audiences that are following your children. Are they bullies? Are they pedophiles? Are they dodgy? Are they, you know, bullying your children on WhatsApp? Are they messaging your children inappropriate messages um, through their own platforms? And I think it's also important to have the conversation about cyberbullying and how serious it is and the risk that comes with it. And I don't think enough parents are having this conversation with children before they hand over a phone and a SIM card to them and they actually um, go online. Cybersecurity since the pandemic has increased significantly and it's a very, very scary thing. And it is important to have that conversation for them to know at a very young age, if you don't protect your data, if you don't have the right passwords and you don't protect your passwords, what is the risk and at what risk does this come? Because if, if you have a kid, I'm sure that they have a bank account and 
What does that conversation look like? Use tools like Bark and Securely, which are monitoring tools that can be used um, for children's online activity. And it's not to, to invade their privacy. It's just to be notified when inappropriate messages are being um, sent to the children um, or sensitive personal information. I know that there are certain tools that can also be used where a child's time can be, say, two hours on social media. And after those two hours are over, it completely deactivates um, the social media platforms. So I think um, it's important to teach children from a very young age what the rules of engagement is and set those ground rules and um, also for the parents to set examples of how to behave online. I think that you've given parents some hope at the end of this data doom. But yeah, not everything is dystopian, as you say, and I think it can add a lot of value to people's lives as long as they do it safely and they protect their children. Thanks for joining yet another episode of Carte Blanche, the podcast. Keep the conversation going online. You can find us on Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, and Instagram. Don't forget to rate and review us. Your feedback is always appreciated. And subscribe to our podcast to ensure you don't miss a single episode.